Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles as we pick up from last week in our study uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 6. We've been studying uh, what we just uh, uh, saw on the video, uh, an upside-down kingdom, looking at Jesus' sermon on the mount and seeing what Jesus has to teach his Christ followers. And as you uh, saw uh, in the video, we are beginning the third installment uh, of this series by examining what we want to call the kingdom affections. Uh, those things that we are called to have as Christ followers. And in this uh, third of, of four subsections in this larger series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to learn what it means to have every uh, aspect of our lives, including our times of prayer and fasting, uh, to be focused in solely on Christ and, and His work. And in this series, we're going to be looking at, uh, and starting next week, a three-part series uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that many of us uh, are very familiar with. And we're going to learn how it can be a pattern uh, for all of our prayers. And we've come a long way in this series up to this point. And starting last fall, we began looking at our kingdom attitudes, looking at Christ's t- first 12 verses in his Sermon on the Mount, looking at the Beatitudes, and looking how you and I ought to look at ourselves and and ought to look towards God and and one another. And then we went to kingdom actions, and we began to learn what it meant to be salt and light in this world. And being salt and light would mean that we would um, do things differently than the world around us. Our anger would be seen in a different way. Our forgiveness would be seen more than our revenge and retaliation. The way we spoke, the way we thought about others, how we uh, dealt with our passions and desires would all be different. They would be different actions because we're followers of Jesus Christ. And now we turn to something a little more, if you will, religious. Something a little more that we would always uh, be quick to say are things that Christians should do. But Jesus wants to get down to not just why Christians are doing them, or what Christians are doing, but why they are doing them. And we need to understand as we look at these, these texts before us that the sincere desire of God is that you and I would not only do these things, but we would not allow these things to be muddied by wrong motives and methods that could help breed uh, self-righteousness and hypocrisy in the life of each and every one of us. And so Jesus, in this passage, before he gets to the Lord's Prayer, reminds us that even the greatest affections with regards to prayer can be destroyed by wrong motives and wrong thinking. And so he teaches us what it means to pray and how to pray in these next coming weeks. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word as we turn to Matthew chapter 6. Verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and our text will be found in verses 5 through 8 at the end of the passage here. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our text this morning says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, 
go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he goes on and says, we are to pray like this, and we'll deal with that next week. Let's pray. Father God, we ask your blessing on our time in your word. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us why we should pray. Lord, move away all of the distractions, all of the personal agendas and motivations that we may have for this incredible gift you've given us so that we may get down to the heart of the matter. Lord, I pray that we will uh, seek you and your kingdom, and we will do so by getting away quietly with you and, and sharing our heart and opening our heart to the God who loves us. Lord, that we would open our hearts to hear from you, to hear what you may have to say to us. Lord, I pray that all prayers in this house today, whether private, where no one can hear, or the public ones that everyone hears, Lord, would be honorable and pleasing to you. For that is why we have come, to give you the honor and the glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. As Jesus taught last week with regards to our giving and our service, once again in our text today, in almost identical fashion, Jesus addresses the issue of prayer. And he addresses it saying that this spiritual activity that I've given to you as a gift to my followers is something that so easily can become self-aggrandizing. Now it was a common practice in the days of Jesus, in the age of the chief priests and Pharisees, who found themselves making a living off of showing off their spiritual activity to the crowd, all the while, Jesus says, missing the heart of the matter, which was to do all of this for the glory of God and not our own. And this was no more, ser- see, more clearly seen than in the activity of prayer. Uh, just to help you out with a deep and theological understanding of what the word prayer means, it is this. Prayer is communication with God. It is talking with Him. And now this can be done both in private and public settings. But herein lies the problem. Since the days of Christ, and even before the days of Christ, people had taken this amazing gift and they had used it to gauge and flaunt their holiness. And while some of the offenses that we're going to look at today in the New Testament days may be a little bit different than what you and I experience, we must remember that religious hypocrisy is far from dead even here at Village Bible Church. It is the practice of so many of us as so-called followers of Jesus Christ to attend religious services, to actively sing and participate in the prayer portions of the service, to amen the preacher during his message, to give and serve faithfully, all the while, while these are good and noble things, to do them not for our relationship with God in heaven, but so that we might be seen by others and be seen for the good things we do. And as a result of that, Idolatry becomes the name of the game. Instead of pursuing God and his glory and his fame, we begin to worship self. We begin to worship the opinion of others. And as a result of that, 
the ulterior motives that we have destroy, Jesus says, any reward that we receive from God and degrades our service to God to a perpetual act of idolatry. So what that means is if our heart's not right, no matter how great the things we are doing, no matter how great people say we are at doing them, if our hearts aren't right, we are wasting our time from a God perspective. We could enjoy far more time at home doing whatever we want to than coming and trying to play the part here at church. You see, in Jesus' day, religion and charity had become an exhibition for others. And Jesus tells his followers, how can you pretend to be praising God all the while in reality you're only concerned about praising the praising of men that you will receive? So here's how we are to approach this text. My title is Living on a Prayer. If you were a Bon Jovi fan in the late 80s, you understand my, my point to this. But I want you to understand this morning that all of us are living on a prayer. We're living on a prayer in a couple different ways, though. Some of us are living on a prayer because our hopes are bound up in this activity that God has given his children. And we love it, and we enjoy it, and we see it as a vital part in our lives, something that we cannot live without. We are living on that prayer. Still others of us see prayer as something we do because we're Christian. We're not sure why, we're not sure what it does, but we do know this, that when we do a good job at praying, people think better of us, especially within the church. People think that we have a close relationship with God. People think we know what we're talking about. And so while we may be living on a prayer differently than that first group, us in the second group, if we find ourselves there this morning, we are living on a prayer that nobody will find out our real feelings about prayer. That no one really find out the lack of prayer that we have when nobody else is around. You see, we all need to understand that prayer is a vital part of our lives, and it was a vital part of the lives of those in Jesus' day. But when Jesus addresses it, notice that the first thing he talks about is he lays forth some critiques. I want you to write that down in your outlines this morning. There are some critiques that he gives about prayer. Notice in our text, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. And notice he goes on and he says uh, later in the text, do not, he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they do this so that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Jesus finishes the last part of this passage by saying, don't do the things they do. Don't be like them. And in doing so, in this passage, Jesus continues his onslaught against all forms of fake religious activity by condemning them as people who are simply playing the part. We learned last week that all a hypocrite is is one who acts a part that they want to play, not being the real person that they are. And so these people, these hypocrites that Jesus is condemning are those who look spiritual, but deep down inside, it's not about God at all. It's all about them. And one way that they do this, one of the chief ways that hypocrites live this out is in the use of their prayers. 
His point in this whole sermon as we've been studying that is to contrast true spiritual life from that which is false. And the false side of it wasn't that it was false that in the idea that people didn't want to be spiritual, but they bought into this idea of what the Pharisees and the Judaic system of the days lived out. Now, he's already told them that in chapter 5, their theology is inadequate. And in chapter 6, he says that their approach to material things in this world are inadequate. And in this third part that we're a part of, he's going to tell us our religious life is inadequate. And so he takes on and tackles this matter of prayer. Now, this idea that he has is to strip away in any of our minds any thought of self-righteousness. He wants to get to the heart of the matter When it comes to your relationship with God, do you talk with him often? And why do you talk with him? Do you talk with him often when others are around so that they can see that you're a spiritual person all the while in your private times, never giving any time to him in prayer? This is a good word for us as his disciples. Because we need to be careful lest our lives become like that of the Pharisees. So Jesus confronts it, and notice he confronts it by sharing six things about prayer in his day. Notice these six things, and we'll go through them as quickly as possible. Jesus tells his listeners that in their day, and even today, that prayer had become nothing more than ritual. It had become nothing more than ritual. The prayers of Jesus' days had become ritualized. The functioning that was going on would only follow a certain level of ritual in their lives. And what that meant was that when you approach prayer from a ritualistic standpoint, it replaces the reality that you're having a conversation. You see, that's why I go back to that definition that that we have. Prayer is communicating. It's talking with God. And when we move away from that, And start allowing prayer to become something more than a simple articulation of who we are and how we relate to the God whom we serve. We begin to move ourselves out of the biblical definition of how and why we ought to pray. Now, for some of us, we come from backgrounds where ritual was a big part of what we did in church. We're a part of the liturgy. The order of service was at the right time and at the right moment you were to say the right words. And here's the the problem with that. Well, there is some good for us to have a level of order in our worship services, to have uh, times where we as a corporate body may even be a part of a, a time of prayer. We must be very careful that in those moments where prayer becomes routine, that it doesn't take away from our opportunity to engage and, and be a part of a relationship with the God whom we serve. Now, we are quick to look at our Catholic friends and say, well, this is where they've got it wrong. This is where they miss it. But let us tell you, let us be reminded that even as evangelicals, we have our little liturgies. We have our little routines where prayer becomes mundane. It becomes mindless in the sense that here we go again. We could do this sleeping. We see this in our table prayers where we utter the same things, never really thinking about that maybe God is maybe getting tired of us saying the same stuff. 
We do this with our children when we uh, share mundane words. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray my Lord, my soul for my Lord to take. These formulas, these routines, we do them because it makes us feel good. And, and it doesn't cause us, if we get it down into a routine, it doesn't take much time for us. And all we are doing is offering God scraps instead of the heart of who we are. So we can all identify what Jesus is saying, where prayer had become a routine part of life, but in doing so had lost all of its significance and meaning. The second thing that Jesus brings up is that rope prayers were recited for every occasion. A fault that had crept into Jewish prayer by the times of Jesus' day was the development of special prayers for special occasions. They had prayers for everything. And when I mean everything, I mean everything. Anything that could possibly come up, a Jewish rabbi had written a prayer for it. And so when that thing happened to you, you had the prayer that you were going to pray. And notice, they had prayers for light. So they had prayers for darkness. They had prayers for fire, for lightning, for seeing a new moon. Prayers for a comet that you might see casting away in the, in the distant horizon. Prayers for rain. Prayers for storms, prayers for the sea, prayers for the land, prayers for the lakes, for the rivers. They had prayers that you would share when you had good news. There were prayers that you had when you had heard of bad news. They had prayers for new furnishings in your home. They had prayers when you entered a city. They had prayers when you left the city. They had prayers when you were on the road between cities. They had prayers for everything. And what we need to be careful with is, is while it's good to be praying about all these things, and here's, here's what happens. You say, well, why in the world would they do all of that? It comes from a good place. They wanted to make sure that their prayers didn't just become focused in on a couple things. And so they made sure that if we write these prayers and people have to pray these prayers, and instead of uttering their hearts and sharing their hearts to their God, they simply now were just sharing these prayers again not knowing why they were there or why they were praying them, but they were prayers to be prayed because they had been written and might as well be used. Notice a, sec- a, a, a third one was that prayer was relegated to only certain times of the day. For example, every day if you were a Jew, in the morning and at night you would repeat the Shema. And the Shema was a prayer, literally the Shema means in Hebrew to hear. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then they would, take, they would go from Deuteronomy 6 there of that short prayer, that which was to be a cry of adoration and identification for the Jewish individuals to say, I believe in Yahweh, and He is the only one and true God would become a prayer, but then they would take it and they would start there and then move on to verses 4 through 9. And then they would go to Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and then to Numbers 15, 37 through 41. They put all of those verses together and make one long prayer that was to be given three times a day, every morning and at noon and at night. Now, if you were to pray this prayer... You would do so three times, and we would go back to the first problem, and that was it was routine. And so no matter where you found yourself, you at any moment in time would have to stop and pray. Wherever you were at, it was to be a time of prayer, whether at work or at play, whether you were in bed, sick, hurting, 
you were to get up out of your bed and pray. Now, there was a second aspect of this, and it went on beyond that, and it was, and I want to butcher the pronunciation here, the Shema Nez Hezra. Now, this longer word coming from the root of the Shema was 18 prayers about God. And so they were 18 prayers that Israel was to hear about their God. And what you would do is you would pray these 18 prayers throughout the day. And they would be done in the morning, in the afternoon, and at evening. And so what would happen is, is if you were a little bit rushed in that given day, you didn't have time, they had abbreviations to these prayers, and they said, just pray some of it so that you may be blessed. And so we would see that this routine would go over and over again. We see this in the life of Muslims today, when the call of prayer takes place. Here's the crazy thing, you know, when you hear from those towers in Middle Eastern cities, the, the call to prayer and that's recorded music. That's just been recorded and they hit play and it plays throughout there. It's become routine. It's become something that we just do and we're not sure why we do it. And so Jesus is saying be careful because even false religions will pursue such prayer, making it routine and mundane. Now notice the next one is, is that prayers had become long and flowing and it was those types of prayers that were held in high regard. And so the Jews had a saying that one thing that would prolong a man or a woman's years was that they would be known to be long in their prayers. That's how you added years to your life. Just pray long prayers. Jesus confronts the Pharisees about this. And he says that on a couple different occasions, but I'll give you this citation, Mark 12, 40, he says, for pretense, in Mark 12, 40, for pretense you make long prayers. For show, to make yourself look good, you do these long prayers, not because you long to be with Jesus and to articulate your love and concern to the God in heaven. You do so because it makes you look good. Now don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with long prayers as long as they're heartfelt. But let us be careful when our long prayers are used to impress others with our vocabulary, with our theology, with our understanding of deep spiritual truths. Our prayers should never be used to show off. Yet there's something. There's something that is spiritual about seeing someone pray. There's something that makes us feel like that person's close to God when their hands are clasped together and their eyes are closed and their head is down and, and they begin to just over and over and over again for long periods of time pray to God. There's something beautiful about that from an observer's point of view that we want to heap praises on. One commentary from 18th century Scotland said the following, the efficacy of prayer is measured by its passion its fluency, and most of all, by its length. We know that that's not true. We know that even some of the shortest prayers that are recorded in Scripture are some of the most beautiful, that are some of the most uh, compelling to the heart of God. And so we know long prayers, while they may not be bad, are not to be used to impress Notice Jesus goes on and he says prayers were comprised of meaningless repetition. He says in our text that be careful that you are not like the Gentiles who heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now what the Jewish people had done in Jesus' day was they had followed the ways of pagan and Gentile worship. And a part of Gentile and pagan worship was that you just heap the same words over and over and over again. And you would just continue to do that as if we have this idea that God would grow tired of you saying the same thing and finally relent. You see, the pagans thought what children think in the grocery aisle in the grocery store. But mom, I want that gum. Mom, I want that gum. Mom, 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 mom. Thinking, well, mom's going to finally relent. And what we begin to think and what the Gentiles and pagans did was if you just start saying this stuff, God will inevitably hear. He'll get out of his slumber. You will bring him to where he needs to be. And as a result of that, he will no doubt have to listen to your prayer because you've been so persistent in giving it. And so they would just rabble on over and over and over again. This is seen in 1 Kings 18 where Elijah is dealing with the prophets of Baal. And all day long, the scripture says, that they cried out in the one voice, Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us. It became uh, even unintelligible at times as they cut themselves and just trying to get their God to listen to them. Now the Jewish approach was a little bit different. To say that that's what they were doing would be a a, a straw man argument against the Jewish people in their prayer life. No, they didn't do that where they just rabbled on about the same stuff. But what they did was fill their prayers with all kinds of cliches and adjectives of God. And we do that. Our Heavenly Father who art in heaven... The God who's seated, seated, seated on his throne. The God who, who knows all things. The God who, and we go, and we go, and we go. And it's not bad to articulate some of the attributes of God. But they did this thinking that people, number one, would think that they're pretty smart people. And number two, that God, if you buttered him up, he would listen. As if God doesn't know who he is or what he's all about. And that God needs to hear that. And if God's like a man, that if you butter up a guy, some of you ladies, uh, if you want something, you'll butter up your husband. You're the greatest guy in the world. And your guy's dumb enough to say, okay, well then do it. You've buttered me up. God doesn't operate that way. God does not need the affirmation of people in their prayers for him to give what they may be asking. And so they find themselves dealing with this. Now Jesus is so, he's amazing at dealing with this because notice just a couple verses down beyond our text, notice how are we to respond to God with one simple adjective. He is our Father. We don't need to be superfluous with our words. We don't need to add ad nauseum adjectives about our God. We need to approach our God as if he's our father, which we'll address here in a moment. Notice one of the other elements that was going on, a critique that Jesus gives, is that prayers were used to build your spiritual reputation. This is where Jesus has an issue. It's not as if, and and please understand this, it's not that some level of ritual makes a prayer bad. It doesn't mean that a routine makes prayer bad. Some of us have routines. Some of us pray in the morning. Some of us pray during the day. Some of us pray on our way to work or on our way home in the car. We just ask that you keep your eyes open. Uh, There are prayers that we uh, make in the evening. Some of us have shorter prayers. Others of us have long prayers. 
what Jesus is addressing isn't so much that any of those things in and of themselves are bad. But the issue that he has is all of these first five things come to number six. That the prayers in Jesus' days had become something that you would build your spiritual reputation upon. Notice in verse five, why do they do it? Jesus says, they do this because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why there? Why do they want to pray in those areas? Is it because they feel a moving of God when they're in the synagogue? Because they're overwhelmed by worship that they want to pray? Is it because in the street corners they want to be salt and light in the world and have the opportunity to pray? No, it seems as if what Jesus says, who knows the heart of these hypocrites, he says, so that many might see them. You see, they want to be seen. They want to be known as spiritual people. Because prayer is such a central part to religion. Then we know that if we pray well, people will see us as spiritual. And it was said in the Jewish days that prayer was the highest of all the works that a Jewish individual could do. Others said in, Jewish day, in the days of Christ, in the Jewish community, that a man who prays well surrounds his house with a wall stronger than iron. In sermons that would happen on the Sabbath, rabbis were known to lament before their congregation with tears that there weren't enough hours in the day for them to pray as much as they would like. Israel was known as a land of prayer. And if you could do it well, then the Pharisees said things will go well with you. And Jesus says, you're missing the mark. You're missing it. Now notice Jesus moves then. He doesn't leave us with a critique because he's speaking to, remember, two different groups of people. The Pharisees, who needed to be criticized, who needed to be critiqued for their idea of what true spirituality looked like. And there were his followers, those who needed counsel. And so notice next we have some counsel that needs to take place. Jesus gives some counsel. After laying forth a blazing indictment, he turns to his followers and says, listen, I don't want you to be like them. Don't be like them. As a follower of mine, I expect that you are going to serve, as we learned last week, you're going to serve differently than the hypocrites do. That you're going to pray differently. And notice, what does he want our prayers to look like? Notice he wants our prayers to be a priority for all of us. He wants it to be a priority for all believers. Notice the words, and when you pray. Notice Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, or if you might pray, but when. From that we can assume very easily that Jesus has this assumption that his followers will be people of prayer. What Jesus is saying is to each of us, as we hold this word in our hands, that Jesus is speaking to you and I, and he's saying, if you call yourself a follower of mine, then you will be a person of prayer. If you're going to say you have a relationship with me, then you are going to have in your life seasons of time where you're communicating with me. 
He expects that when his followers gather together in the house that has been dedicated to the worship of his Father in heaven, he says that it would be a place of prayer. But notice, within this command for us to make prayer a lifestyle, he gives no set times, no set places, no set words or phrases. He just wants us to pray anytime, any place. He wants short prayers. He wants long prayers. He wants prayers in private. He wants prayers in public. He wants prayers full of theological depth, and he wants simple childlike prayers. What Jesus wants of you, and if there's a takeaway today, Jesus wants his children to pray. We are to live as followers of Jesus Christ in a spirit of prayer. Paul said that this was to pray without ceasing, a lifestyle that permeates a desire to pray to our God in heaven. So whatever reasons that we may come up with, whatever excuses that you and I may have with regards to our prayerlessness, Jesus says, I'm not buying it. We are to be a people of prayer. That's counsel number one. Notice the second part of his counsel in teaching us how to pray is that our prayer should be personal in nature. Notice for a moment in our text, all of the times you see the word you. And when you pray, you must not be like them. Truly I say to you, but when you go and pray, go into your room And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What we need to remember when we pray is that we are in a conversation with our Father. And one of the things that we need to understand is when we're in a relationship with our Father, how many of us go to our Father and start speaking in a language very different than we speak to anybody else? I know I don't. Hey, Dad, how are you doing? How are things going? Dad, how can, how can I help you? What, what can I be doing? Dad, and we just start to communicate. Well, son, how are the kids? And, and there's no pretense and there's no uh, uh, hidden agenda. I'm just talking to my dad. And you and I need to understand and recognize that when we're praying, God is not looking for you to come up with some theological jargon. He's not looking for you to look super spiritual. He's looking for you to come to him as his child to show your love, to show your affection, to seek his will in your lives, to get to know him on a more intimate basis, to talk to him, to tell him your feelings, to tell him your desires, to tell him your hurts and your pains, to tell him where you're confused or or where you've gone wrong. But a part of any communication is the ability to listen to allow the wisdom of our Father in heaven to speak to us. Let us hear from Him. For none of us speak to our dads with pomp and circumstance, with pretense. No, the way we speak to our earthly fathers is quite natural and free-flowing, and so it should be with our prayers. 
Notice it's personal in nature. Notice also it's seen as a precious gift. I was struck this week by the phrase, pray to your father. And I thought, that's far more precious than I have ever thought about before. Think about it for a moment. Throughout Scripture, before there was sin in the garden, Adam could commune with his God. He could walk with him and talk with him. Throughout the Old Testament, some of the patriarchs, not even all of them, but some of them, had the privilege of having a level of intimacy and conversation with God. We know that Jesus, when he came on this earth, used this form of communicating in prayer to his Father. It was literally something that Jesus depended on in his earthly ministry. And yet you and I, amidst our sin, amidst our rebellion, listen, have the same opportunity as Adam did before he sinned. The opportunities, while they were brief and few and far between, that the patriarchs had. And the relationship that Jesus depended on in prayer when he was here on earth. And notice, the writer of Hebrews says that you and I, what a precious gift we've been given, that you and I, amidst our faults and frailties, can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And yet, how quick you and I are to throwing that away. We seem so bored by praying, so distracted by things of such temporal nature. We have been given the gift of the greatest worth. It is not a chore. No, prayer is the highest form of God's grace to his people because Jesus was the one who gave us the opportunity to pray to our Father in heaven. And so when we don't pray as Christians, what we do is we take one of God's greatest gifts and we say, it's not worth it. It's not what I'm looking for. It's not what I need. And so notice that the reason why we need to get this right is because prayer is powerful when it's done right. It's powerful. What I mean by this is you and I can't make up the way that we're going to approach God with our prayers. What this means is we can't pray to any deity we want. We have to pray to God through our mediator, Jesus Christ. What this means is that we need to pray about the right things. That all selfishness and and manipulation that we want to bring into our prayer life needs to be put away. And just between us and God, we need to quiet ourselves and ask God, speak to me. As a little boy in the temple would say when the Lord was speaking to him, Lord, your servant is listening. One thing I've loved about our staff meetings on Monday for the last year is Dave Heidel has led us in a year of prayer by praying through the different prayers of Scripture, allowing those prayers to be our guide as a staff. And I would commend upon you the same thing. There are tons of prayers in the Scripture, prayers written by men in good times and in bad, praising God and confessing sin, giving thanksgiving and adoration to God. And yet, 
what this does by praying the scriptures is it allows us to know that when we pray in those ways, we are praying according to the will and word of God. That we are going to seek his will and his plans, not our own. In James chapter 5, we are told that Elijah was a man like us. And that the prayers of a righteous man like him availed much. But how will this be? Our prayers won't build our acclaim like the hip- hypocrites. But when we pray the right things and for the right reasons, God says he hears us. And he says, notice in the text, we will be rewarded by our Father in heaven. How will we be rewarded? First, we'll be rewarded when we pray right with the right motives because we will position ourselves to see our prayers answered. You see, many of us will say we have a lot of unanswered prayers, that we don't see God answering our prayers. And the reason why you're not seeing them is because you're not at the right perspective. You don't position yourself in the right way. You see, because we come and we pray for the wrong motives, we pray so that we might receive. And so when we don't get it, our only perspective is, well, I haven't gotten what I've prayed about. And God reminds us that he answers his prayers not according to our will, but his will. And that's why Jesus reminds us in the Lord's Prayer, it is not our will be done, but our Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number two, notice that uh, we will see our reward when we see the glory of the impact that our prayers has in the lives of others. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and we begin to pray for others, we will enjoy seeing from a bird's eye perspective of what God is doing in his kingdom Jesus, in his longest prayer recorded in all of Scripture, is a prayer more about us than about himself. This sheds even more light that this was prayed hours before his impending death. Now, he could have been worried about all that he was, and there was a sense of of deep and profound uh, concern about what the cross would bring. But turning his thoughts away from himself... He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for you and I. So with that reward in mind, let us pray and make prayer a greater priority in our lives. But to do so, Jesus gives us some closing thoughts to remember. As we embrace Jesus' teaching on prayer, there's a couple things that we have to remember that the people in Jesus' day had forgotten. Number one, our spirituality Our spirituality is determined by God, not others. Let us never forget this. Whether it's in our service, or in our giving, or in our prayer, or our fasting that we'll learn about. That these things that we do, that we do with even great frequency, is not for man, but for God. It's not for ourselves, but it's for our Savior. As I was preparing this message I was reminded of a song that I remember as a young boy that my parents used to listen to. And the song comes, and I had never thought about this, about the lyrics, but the the passage that we're looking at is the very essence of this song. It's a song by a woman named Sarah Gaines, and it fits so well. She says, 
the part that no one sees and no one knows, the labors that seldom show, that silent gift where honor is not bestowed. No earthly eye observes these precious deeds, but there is one who sees and will reward each act of charity. The secret part, done from the heart, the hidden part, the part that no one sees. And she goes on and says, the part only Jesus sees. When Jesus looks in our hearts, when Jesus hears our prayers, is he glorified or are you? Does he see one as a humble and meek servant who knows that they are poor in spirit? Or does he see in your prayers and in your charity and in your giving a heart of hypocrisy that you're doing it because you're playing the part for the show? All that we do, all that we do must be for God or it will be lost. You know, the day of judgment, many will take the passage of Scripture in the book of Revelations that Jesus will wipe away every tear, and they think that that's at the beginning side of, of, of heaven, that when we get there, Jesus starts wiping all our tears. There's no more pain, no more sorrow. Man, we'll just get rid of that. I am here to contend that I think there will be tears in heaven. I cannot imagine that when I get up to heaven and my box of good deeds is set on the conveyor belt of God, And the Bible says that that box that we're all going to bring of the stuff that we did for God is going to be put on that celestial conveyor belt and go through the fire. And I want to be honest with you, here's here's how I'm going to approach heaven. I've done a lot of good things. I don't know if you know this, so my box is going to be really big. I'm going to labor, but here's the problem. As I labor to put that big box of all all my sermons, all those prayers, all of those things that, that I've done, and I put it on that conveyor belt. Here's the problem. When it goes through, I'm going to have no problem picking that box up. Because God's going to say, your motive was wrong. The reason for you doing this was wrong. You did it so others would see it. You didn't do it for me. You didn't do it for the good of others. You did it for yourself. And brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that it isn't what others see. Listen to me. On the day of judgment, it's going to be you and God. No one else. You're not going to be able to bring up people and say, well, my wife has nice things to say about me, or my church has nice things. God's going to say, it ain't about them. You can fool them, but you can't fool me. So in our prayers, be so very careful that we are not putting on a show for others, but we are submitting to God. Number two, closing thought. The depth of our prayer life is seen is seen in our private prayers. How do we know to go about evaluating our prayer life? You say, Tim, man, I I don't feel real good about my prayer life right now. How do I know if I'm even doing a good job? Well, stop looking at how you pray in small group. Stop how you are praying, uh, look at praying at church. Don't put yourself up on a pedestal because every day at, 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 at a table, whether you're in in the company of Christians or non-Christians, that you pray your prayers. Uh, The real question is, is 
How well do you pray when you're alone and in secret? Notice Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Just a helpful thing for those that were in small group, you will know that the you in chapter, or I'm sorry, in verse 5, and the you in verse, uh, let's see here, verse 7, are in the plural sense. But Jesus then says in verse 6, in a singular sense, he uses the word you. He's talking to us in our individual times of prayer. I have some questions, Jesus says. One, how much do you pray in secret? What is your prayer life like? You want to know how good you are in the area of prayer? Don't look at your public prayers. Look at your private ones. You see, it's in those quiet moments where a child of God's true intimacy with his father is found. So let me illustrate this for you, and I think it will be helpful. For those, it was Valentine's Day this week. Valentine's Day is a wonderful day, and and for us in relationships, we know that one of the things that people in relationships no doubt like to do is, is to show public displays of affection. And it could be in public holding hands. It could be a kiss on the cheek. It could be, uh, you know, rubbing one another's shoulders. It can be a lot of different things. Now, some PDA is good, for it shows that you're fond of the person you're showing it to. And that's, that's a good thing. I think it's good. It was always good for my parents, uh, every once in a while, to show some affection to one another. Now, you can only go so far because it goes from, oh, that's nice, mom and dad love each other, to wanting to vomit, but you get the point. But notice, no relationship. There's not a vibrant relationship that is based upon only their public displays of affection. Let me help you. Public prayer are public displays of affection. They're good. But if that's your only affection that you show, your relationship with the one whom you're showing is going to be surface level at best. You see, far too many of us want to show public displays of affection. But anyone in a relationship recognizes and knows that it's the moments that are found in the private times between those two people that are what build a healthy relationship. So it is with prayer. The prayers that make a person have a deeper walk with God are done in private, not in public. Now, some of you right away may say, well, Tim, isn't Jesus now judging public prayer? And they'll take this text and they'll say that public prayer is no good because Jesus says our prayers should be done in secret. And yes, uh, most of our prayers should be done in secret. They should be done between us and God. But, but anyone who loves another person recognizes that, listen, if you were to say, hey, um, do you love Amanda? You know, I don't try to show that in public. I don't want anybody to know. No, of course I want to show you 
my love for Amanda. I want you to be able to see when I'm walking around with Amanda, when I'm talking with Amanda, that, that you see hey, those two people love one another. They care for each other. They have a deep relationship. But understand, if that's all that I showed Amanda, that when we are in private, I don't talk to her. I don't do anything with her. Think of how upsetting that would be to my wife. Think of how upsetting it is to God when we get up on our spiritual soapboxes and we pray in public and then we never in private ever go to God and share our heart. So some will say right away, well, Tim, what Jesus is saying is no public prayers. To take that, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but to take that passage and not allow Scripture to interpret Scripture would be to say that only prayer should be secret is to go against the practice of Jesus, to go against the practice of the church in Acts, to go against the teaching of Peter, Paul, and John to the early church, and the pattern that we've seen throughout the church and throughout all ages since the time of Christ. Public prayer is right, and it is good. And it should be a time that every person, listen, every person in a relationship with Jesus Christ should long for others to see that. Well, you say, I'm an introvert. Well, then does that mean you don't tell your spouse, you don't tell others you love your spouse? Of course you do. And so I would encourage my brothers and sisters that say, I don't know if I can do that. I, I just don't feel right doing that. Remember, it is simply a public display of affection. And we know, listen to me, we know when public displays of affection start going wrong. And so use wisdom. Notice public prayer is something that can encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. It allows us to learn how to pray. If all prayer was silent, I wouldn't know how to pray. Who would have taught me? And so I heard my mom and dad from a very young age praying public prayers. But let me tell you something. I learned a lot more when I ran into their room and saw them on their knees. Our prayers need to be both public and private to show our full affection to God. A couple more and we'll get out of here. Our prayer life will be dependent on our view of God. Notice what Jesus says at the end of the passage. He says we should have confidence in prayer because we have a Father who knows what we need before we ask. Now this reminds us of an important truth. If God knows it, then he can handle it. And if we can't, but he can, then doesn't it seem natural for us to turn to him in prayer? That while we have no idea what a day might bring, we have a God who knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And because we have a God who is in heaven, whose name is hallowed, whose kingdom has come, and whose will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the one who gives us daily bread, the one who forgives, the one who delivers us from all evil, if God can do all that, then why in the world aren't we going to him? You see, our small view of God, if God is in the small box, then our prayer life will be small. If God is big in our lives, then our prayer lives will be, get, be big because God is the God who can answer every prayer. What is impossible for us, a person who prays knows and recognizes nothing is impossible with God. So then that begs the question, if you have a high and large view of God, why aren't we running to Jesus in prayer for all things and in all ways? Now before I get to my final point, 
Let me encourage us with something here and challenge in the same breath. Many of you will walk away and say, I just need to pray more, and that may be true for some. But I want to speak corporately for a moment, and I want to encourage you that I believe that this place is a house of prayer, both in secret and in public. I'm encouraged that right now in this place, our kids are praying, our teenagers are praying, Throughout the week, we have dozens of small groups that are getting together and praying in living rooms all across this area. I know as a leader in this church that your leaders are praying. And so we're praying. I think we're doing what God has called us to. But let me challenge us with that. I believe our prayers are far too focused in on ourselves and what God will do for us than what we can do for God. If we would open our minds and our hearts to what God's will might be for our lives, then our requests and the requests we have each and every week might be a little different than simple medical reports, which are important, and small little things that we might pray for God to do the impossible, that God to change lives, that God to change our hearts so that we might go out and be the salt and light that God calls us to be. Let us not be a people far too focused in on supplications which are right and good, but let us never forget the adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. Let our prayers be fully orbed because we have a God who deserves every one of them. Finally, our prayer life will grow only when we dedicate time and energy to it. Some of us, let me rephrase that, I would lie. Some of you like to work out. Some of us don't. But then something happens in our lives where we need to work out. And you know what inevitably happens? We go and we we, we do the hard work. We get the membership at the workout gym. We show up on the moment that we're going to do it. We've got all of our gear on and everything. We're ready to do this thing. And, and, and we do it. And what happens? After it's done, what takes place? We hurt. There's pain. There's suffering. And our body says, I don't want to do that again. It, it, parts of my body didn't even know I had are hurting. And prayer is a discipline like our physical working out where prayer, when we do it, it will be cumbersome. We won't feel like we know what we're doing. And when we do it, it will seem like there will be parts of us that are hurting. And what do we do when we work out? We say, I just can't do it anymore. I've I've twinged my back. I've done something. And I better just cool it for a little while. No, those that, again, those that work out know this to be true. The greatest muscle that needs to be used in working out for your physical bodies is dedication and perseverance. And spiritually, prayer is the same thing. So start out small. Start off taking some time tomorrow, even today. Get away. And just spend some time in silent prayer. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I love you. Lord, I don't know the things I should be praying for, but you know I love my family, so I'll start there. Lord, you know the things I'm concerned about, so I'll start there as well. Lord, you know I'm around unbelievers, so I'm going to pray for them. Lord, you know that there are things that are out of my circumstance, or out of my abilities to deal with, for me to even comprehend. And so I'm just going to praise the God who has it all covered. And when we do that, even if we take a couple moments and just little by little grow, you see, uh, for far too many of us, 
we think that we've got to do it someone else's way. Let me tell you something. Jesus prayed early in the morning. He prayed during the day, and he prayed late at night. Some of you want to sound spiritual that you get up at 4.30 in the morning. Coming from your preacher, there's nothing good that happens at 4.30 in the morning. If the Lord comes back at 4.30 in the morning, I'm going through the tribulation. I can't get up that early in the morning. I don't function. And so stop trying to live, live someone else's prayer life and live yours. Your father wants to talk with you. And so I figure those that like to get up early in the morning, they'll have God's ear. Those of you who fall asleep at 8.30 at night, God's going to be hearing my prayers. And it's okay. So find your rhythm, find your place, and bear your soul and your heart to God because God truly does want to hear your prayers. And when you do that, be careful that hypocrisy and self-righteousness are stripped away so that when God hears you pray, he only hears your prayer and no other static along the way. Let's pray. Lord, it is hard to put into a, a message all that surrounds our ability to talk with the infinite God. And yet, Lord, we are told by your Son to bring our requests and our praises to you. And so, Lord, I pray for my friends and loved ones here that that we would be a people that show our love to you by communicating with you, by talking with you, by sharing our heart with you, by our giving of our hopes and dreams to you, our current concerns and anxieties. Lord, we might listen to you in that still small voice, hear your words to us, to hear your words of affirmation and love, to hear your words of challenge and critique, to hear those words of conviction, Lord, that it would then lead us to a deeper walk with you, not because we can then put it on our lapel of how great we are, that we can tell others of our just deep and wonderful walks with Jesus, but that in that secret and quiet place, we may know what it means to draw near to God and to experience how he draws near to us. Lord, I believe that's the heart cry of this congregation, and so I pray that this week will be a week that we will draw near to God and that we will strip away all those things that keep us from you, God, and that we will devote ourselves to the discipline of prayer. Lord, over these next couple weeks, as you teach us on how to pray, Lord, I pray that this prayer that you have recorded in Scripture will be a prayer that won't just be read, wrote as some magic words, but it'll be a pattern by which we put all of our prayers to so that we may honor you in our times of prayer, both private and public. Now, Lord, lead us from this place a little bit different now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.